Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a global market access service from strategy to implementation. In this episode, Callum Jones and Nick Swart from our health economics team discuss what, why, and how health economic models can support medtech innovations to demonstrate value, achieve market access, and reach more patients. This podcast has been converted from a live webinar. To learn more or for a copy of Callum and Nick's slides, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Right. Well, welcome everybody to what we hope is going to be a really uh, interesting and informative meeting. Um, we'll do our very best to that end. Really to think about what is the offering of health economic modeling with respect specifically to what medtech innovations and developers of those innovations and devices are likely to require. And we'll look at really, ideally, the what. What do medtech innovations require? And how does that look? Why is that the case? And indeed, how might that be enabled through combining with health economic modeling practices and teams? To that end, um, I thought I'd begin just by the two speakers today uh, introducing themselves. And I thought then my colleague Nick might be able to introduce himself first. Thanks, Keller. So yes, I'm Nick Swart. Uh, I'm a senior health economist at MTech Access. Uh, I recently joined the, the company uh, and in a previous life I worked uh, in academia uh, as a health economist at University College London uh, working on a, a range of uh, health economic subjects mostly funded by National Institute of Health Research and other public uh, funding entities. Brilliant, thank you Nick and my name is Callum Jones. I am a consultant health economist of um, eight to nine years of experience within private sector health economic consulting. And um, as a rule, my, my, my job entails developing health economic models, typically within Microsoft Excel, leveraging statistical packages such as R as well to essentially develop eco uh, economic submission packages that are going to enable um, traditional therapeutic developers, big pharma or biotech, or indeed device developers in the medtech sphere to attain or to pursue and to attain uh, reimbursement and or procurement within regional and national settings. And uh, to that end, Nick and I sit within a, a team within MTech Access of eight health economists, a strong team of eight, which has a broad range of technical and strategic experience and um, is regularly, I, I'm delighted in the, in the case of, we regularly combine with our uh, experienced and rather large market access team within MTech Access to ensure that we have that holistic uh, innovation to launch uh, coverage of what therapies and devices are going to require in that pursuit of reimbursement and procurement. Naturally with health economics, we are dealing principally with the generation of um, new evidence, both cost and benefit orientated, um, statistically analyzing that information, uh, validating it, and indeed making sure that we translate the use of those inputs into models that produce outcomes of relevance to end stakeholders, end stage stakeholders at the national and regional level. Today in our agenda, we hope to, as you can see here, walk through a number of different items. Firstly, thinking about why and in what ways do health economics and medtech represent a plausibly natural relationship? Then we can think about what do we have and see today that actually suggests to us that medtech um, is going to have to be perhaps stepping up to um, the plate in a sense in some way uh, in pursuit of market uptake, but also to that end, the opportunities that are actually starting to arrive uh, for medtech companies, uh, which is the, the, the flip side of that particular coin. And then we can think about the types of economic models which health economic teams, such as ours, for example, could actually develop for medtech to enable um, a robust and appropriate submission packages is submitted for these purposes. We could then think specifically about how we conceptualize economic models. What are the, the core tenets that we look to touch on and consider? We'll try to make that a little more real, so to speak, by thinking about illustrative examples of, of how we would work with a medtech partner or how any health economic team uh, should work with, an, with a, a medtech partner at the very beginning of conceptualizing that key decision problem, the value drivers, the patient pathway and so forth. And throughout, we welcome you please to submit in writing any questions that, you, that might arise that you might have as we pass through the, the webinar agenda. 
I think we can move now to our first slide, therefore, where we would really want to touch on, on what we feel is a very natural relationship, an effective relationship that can exist between health economic teams and medtech developers. Absolutely. And uh, starting at the beginning, uh, sort of a quick health economics 101. The, uh, the entire aim of health economics is to facilitate uh, decision making uh, around whether to um, provide a new uh, device or service or drug. Uh, and um, the reason obviously for, or over choose that one particularly over say another uh, alternative uh, and the reason of course is that you can't do both we are in a scarcity uh, situation so you don't have a finite amount of resources so you have to choose uh, either doing a or b uh, and economics or health economics will weigh up the costs and the benefits of both of those or met or more uh, products or devices uh, and to uh, to inform that decision now there are various uh, standardized ways uh, of doing this, various methods, um, which is rather nice for us uh, since uh, we can uh, sort of, uh, the, the, uh, the problems are often quite difficult and complex. So having a methodology that is standardized uh, cuts a lot, of, um, a lot of difficulty out of that. And um, it's all sort of regulator driven and regulator approved. Uh, so in the UK, we would use uh, nice, uh, um, uh, methods uh, guidance for um, designing our models uh, and um, when those things get submitted um, they are, there's a checklist in fact a cheers checklist it's called rather cheerily to uh, make sure you've uh, ticked all the boxes as it were. Um, traditionally uh, health economics has been um, sort of moved in step with uh, with pharma or the development of uh, and growth of, of pharmaceutical companies um, has gone hand in hand uh, as, uh, as conversations and interactions with regulators have um, uh, increased uh, over the years. But um, medical devices is rather new uh, comparatively in that, um, but it's a very natural fit. And all of the, many of the uh, sort of processes and um, methods that we, that have been developed originally for pharmaceutical uh, uh, drugs uh, also apply for evaluating uh, and assessing uh, health technology and health devices. That's right. Sorry, well, yes, thank you. it's absolutely right, Nick. And and part of the reason why we're we're enthusiastic, particularly enthusiastic, to talk about this subject now with you today, is really uh, we have a, a pretty fascinating development uh, ongoing at the moment within the medtech appraisal sector, if one could refer to it as such. In that, actually, the the bar, the evidence threshold bar is is ever rising and will continue to rise um, as as um, communicated by by relevant bodies um, actually rather recently through updates that we'll touch on in a second such that actually the the similarity between the requirements of of medtech developers and big pharma in bringing their assets to market for, for reimbursement and procurement are going to become increasingly um, familiar to one another and actually, personally to that, uh, we, we've got two examples on this screen here, which you can see. The first being a code of conduct that some of you may be aware of. Um, it's interesting, many are not actually, and that is from the Department of Health and Social Care. This code of conduct, which was formulated a few years ago and was actually updated in January of this year, is really pr providing um, a, set of, a set of core principles that um, that are fairly overarching and they're all about really encouraging asset developers, specifically uh, alluded to as data-driven healthcare technologies, to really focus quite, quite keenly on the importance of value demonstration. That is understanding exactly for whom your asset is being developed for, not just the target customer, so to speak, but also the patients of which, for which you're interested in uh, alleviating an unmet burden with. And indeed also, of course, therefore picturing exactly where that device fits into a pathway, what evidence exists, needs to be collected, how you're going to collate and use that evidence and, tra and to transparently present it. And we do feel actually the code of conduct is, um, is somewhat of a bellwether as to what we might start to see in other health technology assessment mature markets over the next few years. Um, principally because these are very logical steps towards considering medtech evidence. They are unambiguously productive steps and principles that um, we certainly feel wholeheartedly should be adopted by medtech um, asset de device developers. When it comes to the med medical technologies evaluation program, which is uh, run by NICE, this is an interesting case because here in the United Kingdom, we actually have a 
essentially a case where NICE are putting these principles laid out by the Code of Conduct into a form of practice, whereby actually there is this process, therefore, where NICE can appraise new medtech devices, their respective evidence submissions, and issue potentially useful for encouraging wider, broader, more consistent uptake for medtech assets, um, albeit in a non-legally binding uh, sense. So as opposed to the single um, uh, for, for single uh, TAs in the United Kingdom, uh, where actually there is somewhat of a pseudo uh, regulation that that ensures that actually um, re recommendations are, are implemented. It is true that the NTEP doesn't quite have those teeth, but nonetheless, there is a route for gaining national accreditation um, through the NTEP process that we'll touch on in a second. Um, and indeed, the, the requirements for that we'll touch on uh, shortly as well. I think then we could look just to the first of these two points that we mentioned, and that is um, really thinking about the Code of Conduct. Well, the Code of Conduct, um, as it starts off, says um, really you need to start at the, the beginning, as, as I said earlier. You need to start with the decision. Uh, what is the decision you're trying to um, evidence, which in your case, Will almost certainly be um, do I you know what are the benefits uh, of implementing this device over an alternative which is uh, which may be another device or it may be uh, standard care um, which is quite common of course in um, medical devices uh, situations there is no alternative they can often be quite disruptive uh, in a good way of course um, and therefore they'll, the comparator that you're trying to um, compare against is uh, how much benefit does this device uh, give and how much additional costs does this device um, incur uh, on the health system uh, and that's obviously on the, the sort of um, the decision problem there overall um, within that of course you're asking sort of what is the value statement that you're trying to sort of show here what uh, what are the scientific outcomes and the clinical outcomes what are the outcomes on patients uh, and are indeed on workforce or, or on patient um, their own their own pockets uh, the sort of the financial impact of the system as a whole uh, and the ultimate question you know is this value for money is this device cost effective relative to the comparator that is uh, that is the, uh, the the be all and end all really of what health economics is about uh, excellent points and 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 actually it's worth stressing that of course different medical devices come with uh, quite understandably their own esoteric um, offerings of alleviating unmet need patient burden um, and given the, the indication, the disease context into which they fit, naturally, therefore, the value drivers specific to each individual device will differ. You see across various different devices a highly heterogeneous spread of different value claims that they will then, uh, in best practice, go on to seek to demonstrate through economic modelling. Uh, but indeed, in some cases, of course, uh, it might be the case that uh, the value associated with a, with a new device is, is going to be principally financially orientated. It's about shortening a pathway, perhaps, to reach ultimately um, treating uh, and alleviating the pain, perhaps, uh, that's experienced by a patient. It may also be quite clear that it's going to uh, reduce a number of adverse events, um, heart attacks or migraines and so forth. Um, and we might want to capture that in some way. And perhaps, as Nick alluded to there, value for money, combine that into some kind of ratio of value, thinking about how much extra financial output are you going to have to um, put out for an additional unit of benefit that could be attained with this device, um, often the perspective, of course, of a, a decision maker within a national or, or regional position. And to that point, whilst the Code of Conduct is adamant of the importance of medtech assets being quite clear on the importance of, de of defining that decision problem, really nailing that down, really trying to understand what benefit in value terms this asset, this new device, can offer relative to its closest comparators. Once you've done that, it's then important to, in a formal, structured, and, um, and in a transparent manner, to create evidence that is touching on those relevant parts, of course, clinical, social, economic, behavioral, holistic, societal, and so forth. It's, it's about then translating that into a, a series of structured, um, iterative processes within a model that allow people to explore and, and, and characterize and test the inherent uncertainty of your, your assumptions, your sources, your references, your of costs and benefits, and to and to really credi uh, credibly appraise, therefore, your uh, your core base case assumptions and outputs 
and to test, of course, around the, the, the parameters, the, um, the margins forever around those base case assumptions and outputs, just how credible your story is. These models and what the code of conduct is alluding to inherently is are these models are therefore all about making sure that you can have a clinically and economically robust argument for your new asset that reflects that appropriate decision problem value drivers that we've articulated previously and the degree or the type of arguments you're going to be making just to these two bullets you've got on the right hand side there or two of these will differ probably to the type of stakeholder that an asset developer is going to be, a device developer is going to be um, approaching at the national level, certainly in the UK, but this would probably apply elsewhere as well, particularly as time goes by, we're probably looking at a cost and health benefit uh, consideration, the consideration of both, not necessarily in value terms, perhaps um, in separate domains, cost and benefits, but certainly some consideration of both. At the regional level, you're typically looking at some form of demonstration of budgetary impact. Uh, for example, you introduce a new device into a portfolio of devices or portfolio of care um, assets, treatments that a, a budget holder is responsible for, and you assess really if you introduce this new device into there, how does that change the overall budgetary picture for that for that budget holder? I think we can move now just on to MTEP, actually, the Medical Technology Technology Evaluation Program. And what's actually really, uh, what infuses me uh, and Nick, I'm sure, about, about the MTEP process is that we are at a stage now in the United Kingdom, at least, um, whereby we actually have a fairly clear and structured set of um, uh, directions and guidance and, and uh, stipulated um, requirements from MTEP with respect to what kind of economic model ought to be developed to demonstrate the, uh, the value um, over, over that of comparators for the new device. Um, and also in the ways in which, and, and exactly the, the kinds of inputs and sources that ought to be collected and, and put into those models. Some salient points here we might want to make here. It's great to see the crossover between MTEP and the code of conduct that we've just mentioned in MTEP explicitly requesting the delivery and uh, articulation of a clear decision problem where you're really looking to make perfectly, um, perfectly evident exactly what benefit or effect this new device is going to introduce into a existing treatment paradigm. And to that point, actually, is it going to be within a treatment paradigm or is this new device going to somehow change that treatment paradigm? Is it going to sit somehow alongside and differ in, in some ways from that treatment paradigm. So it's capturing really what's the story there? How is it going to work? And why does it why is it necessarily delivering benefit over comparators? Now, the next bullet down, cost-consequence analysis. Now, that's a little bit jargony uh, for which I, I apologize at this stage, but in essence, what that's capturing there in, in its definition is, is just really that we see MTEP requiring device um, companies to deliver evidence that speaks both to the cost or the costs associated, the resource use associated with that new device, as well as the expected health benefit. So, of course, thinking about, for example, the alleviation of um, of, of ailments, uh, that could be any kind of adverse event related to the, the, the device indication. Uh, we could also be thinking, of course, not just about, um, for example, I, I used the example earlier of um, avoiding number of heart attacks or migraines or so forth, but we could also be thinking about health service benefits as well. That's what MTEP looks at as well in its criteria. Uh, for example, are we looking at this device reducing the length of hospital stay that the relevant patient cohort is, is um, experiencing? Uh, indeed, subsequently the number of hospitalizations uh, and indeed also what's the burden perhaps of the alleviation of burden that we we might see in the inpatient or so the outpatient or indeed the primary care consultation um, context. I think uh, Nick might want to touch just now on our right hand side section here. Yes absolutely thanks Callum uh, and thanks for the uh, the illuminating uh, walkthrough there. As, as Callum said um, the MTEP uh, sort of application process uh, sits within the NICE Health Technology Assessment, or it is a route uh, through NICE Health Technology Assessments. Um, it is relatively quick compared to a single technology appraisal, or indeed multiple technology appraisals, which are two other routes that you can uh, go through um, through NICE. Um, but the MTEP is specifically focused on medical devices, which is why we are Sort of discussing it here. As I say, it's relatively quick, and the whole the design of it is uh, staggered. First, you have to sort of present clinical evidence uh, through the process, and then afterwards, you have to present economic evidence, and that is sort of the structure of it. Um, and um, basically, if you're if you're considering this, 
uh, I would very much encourage you encourage you to uh, sort of get your um, your analysts or your your health economists such as uh, ourselves on board as soon as possible because that process is quite quick and from from the word go you want us to be hitting the ground running uh, in order to meet uh, a rather tight deadline uh, and so before before uh, as we're sort of just starting off that process just have those uh, five bullet points there very much um, lined up you know the decision problem needs to be characterized you need to know your device you need to know the standard care probably that you're uh, trying to um, uh, replace or you're arguing for replacement or the alternative you need to know exactly where your the value of your device uh, lies uh, you need to have your evidence all lined up particularly the clinical evidence because that comes first uh, at least in their requirement uh, submission uh, process uh, and that all needs to be collected and readily available um, if there's any new evidence that's going to be generated um, that is that's marvelous but again it needs to be quite short term uh, in terms of um, uh, when you're going to get that data in order to, for use in the, the MTEP process. Um, and in the same way that you sort of identifying the sort of key value uh, drivers of your device um, or technology, you need to really establish uh, what the costs and the benefits are going to be uh, in, in, in that uh, whole picture there. Uh, That's right. Yeah. At, at, an early, at an early stage, you're, you're absolutely right, Nick. And, and what Nick and I are, are alluding to here actually um, is we feel very important actually, hence our, our little exclamation mark in the top right there. It's really because time and time again, what we what we see, not, not every time of course, but it, and it is completely understandable um, because this is, this is all fairly new territory for med tech companies, but it is a common pitfall to be quite a long way down the line of contacting regional and perhaps even national, perhaps even international stakeholders who could grant reimbursement and uptake and recommend uptake rather. And, they have got down that line, but they haven't yet ticked a, fair, a number of boxes. So for example, it's quite conventional um, for key value drivers to be um, hypothesized and acted upon at that late stage, uh, by which time, of course, and this speaks to the, the next point I was going to make actually, which is by which time it's actually rather difficult to prospectively collect the adequate data to support that, um, to make that case in an evidence-based robust fashion. To that point, it's critical to, as soon as possible, identify exactly what evidence you, you perhaps as a medtech uh, device developer, what evidence you currently have to support your defined decision problem and value story, what the data gaps are, and how you're going to meet, to fill those gaps, and why as well. And we can't stress enough how important it is to, to start early in that, in that endeavor. Um, absolutely should pay off in, in spades. It, the trouble is, for example, with the MTEP project process, if you enter that process and you haven't quite sorted those things out, and also perhaps you're not quite, um, you don't have much of a preliminary idea of what your likely cost impact or your benefit, comparative benefit is, your profile in that respect, you might already be in a, in a position which one cannot back out of, um, of, of being assessed and a recommendation which may not be favorable being cast on the basis of uh, an evidence submission which has inadequate evidence and is actually pr producing uh, or, or providing um, an evidence uh, sorry a cost or benefit claim which ultimately in itself is not uh, doesn't put the company in a very good light to be to be clear getting one's ducks in a row um, getting them in order at an early stage with respect to, to these matters is imperative. And I suppose that's actually the main thing actually in this whole webinar I'd like to emphasize, but I won't dwell, dwell further. I think that's surely clear enough now. Um, what, what we'd also want to touch on, of course, with MTEP is what, you know, what comes out of it? What, what, is it um, what does it really matter? And the thing with MTEP is, as I did touch on the fact, of course, relative to a single technology appraisal, these are not legally binding recommendations. It's not the case that if a medtech device is granted a recommendation for use that subsequently trusts and hospitals across a given country are now mandated to some degree, uh, unless without great reason, to, um, to, to, to reimburse and, and procure and provide those assets. And I say that because that is essentially what, what, what is the case in a, sing, in a single tran, uh, technology appraisal situation. Um, single technology appraisal situations came about really to reduce um, essentially unevenness in postcode prescribing or indeed postcode prescribing but there is no such infrastructure or or teeth yet to the MTEP uh, to the MTEP recommendation 
um, package. That may come, of course, but not yet. And I just wanted to touch on this table here. You can see that there are, of course, three nuanced forms of recommended for use, um, one in which your case for adoption is fully supported. And, um, and there are instances, absolutely, not unusually, of medtech devices that, uh, for example, are, are um, currently being represented and sold in a few hospitals within a given market, and, uh, and six months to 12 months later are actually in two, three, four times that number. So the, um, the power of, a, of an MTEP NICE re recommendation for use uh, can be quite potent. There is also the, the case of partial support, partial support for this, where we're looking at recommendation for use in specific circumstances, or indeed uh, more of a, um, a, a contingent recommendation, where it's, um, it's uh, for use in specific circumstances, or, or actually where further evidence might be required to unlock perhaps specific circumstance, further specific circumstance opening. Uh, it's also worth noting, just before I pass to, 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 to Nick again, that uh, it is the case, if you go into MTEC, the process, there is the risk of uh, recommendation that highlights that this is a non-recommended for adoption um, MTEC asset. And, um, and that must be borne in mind before essentially taking what is a, a risk-benefit assessment when going into the MTEC process. Um, that, that does require, as we said already, ample preparation and, um, and determined uh, consideration as to the pros and cons of entering that process. Thanks, Kellen. Um, now, not to sort of emphasize too too much the sort of the, the scary side of the MTEP, um, it's just the, the point being um, that uh, you, you, the MTEP is quite stringent in its requirements. Uh, and uh, one of those is you, you have to demonstrate that your device or your um, the effect of your device overall, it would be cost neutral or indeed cost saving to uh, to the system that you're trying to um, uh, implemented in. And uh, and as Kellen said, uh, while it, the MTEP might not have the same mandate that single technology appraisal does, you would still come out at the end of it with a recommendation for use by NICE, which goes a long way. Um, and it's, you know, suddenly it's a feather in your cap, uh, if you will. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to sort of trying to, to pitch your device to uh, decision makers, um, it is certainly something uh, that would uh, hold quite a lot of weight. Um, and um, so, yes, on top of the, um, the, the need to demonstrate cost neutrality or need cost savings, uh, you also need to demonstrate at least equivalent uh, clinical benefit uh, or indeed greater clinical uh, such, that, such, uh, social care um, benefit uh, in all, in, to, uh, to, sort of, to get it through the submission process and to, have, to get that recommendation for approval. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. Nick, and I, and I think, so we've covered, of course, uh, the some of the underlying context as to what health, econ health economists do on a day-to-day -day basis and what medtech device developers are increasingly um, being encouraged or indeed in some cases, of course, required to develop in terms of evidence packages um, for, for submission. Um, code of conduct being somewhat the uh, the carrot and, and there's a little, bit of, um, a little bit of stick and carrot within the MTEP process. If we move on now to a more practical, well, a particularly practical consideration, which is what are the economic models that health economic modelers like Nick and I, like the um, MTech Access team, could actually uh, be providing for medtech um, assets in their pursuit of market uptake opportunities? So what we wanted to do actually was to make this a, a very sort of, um, I suppose, user-friendly uh, screen here where, where uh, one can see side by side the uh, pros and cons, uh, the features and, the, and the, uh, the advantages and disadvantages of three very conventional types of health economic models, which we feel are particularly relevant to the, to the needs of health economic, sorry, of, of um, med tech devices going forward. What I wanted to touch on initially is the fact that, of course, these three model types, a budget impact model, a cost consequence model, which we've touched on already, of course, is what's required in the MTEP process, cost consequence, and also a cost effectiveness model. These model types are all focusing on slightly different objectives. The budget impact model, very much looking on a financial basis from the perspective of a budget holder, uh, looking at a relatively short time horizon of three to five years. And... Um, that differs quite notably from uh, the idea of a cost consequence model where we're actually thinking about, as we've touched on briefly, costs and outcomes. So two different concepts there, of course, but the idea of cost consequence is that we keep those quite rigidly separate, that we have separate domains, a disaggregation between cost and outcome. And we consider what that means. What, in essence, uh, that kind of model is going to be telling you, well, you're going to have this much incremental or difference in cost compared to the standard of care. Also, 
we're going to avoid this many adverse events. So they're separate considerations, but it's just something more to, to contribute to the story. And then the cost-effectiveness model, very much looking at combining in an efficient, in an efficiency sense, the cost and benefit um, of the, of uh, relative to, uh, to to its comparators of this new medtech asset. So thinking about how much more do we have to spend to attain one more unit of the health benefit that we are targeting. Um, it's also important to note two more things, that these models are all comparative. So it's all about this new medtech device relative to the single or indeed the collection of existing standard of care interventions. And also worth noting that from left to right in this table, budget impact through to cost effectiveness model, um, broadly speaking, what you see there is an increase in degree of sophistication, resource intensiveness, um, intensity. Um, yes, I, I think I'll um, now just walk through what a budget impact model really entails. I've touched on the fact, of course, that we're looking at a short-term cost comparison. And it is important to note there that the principle of that is a budget holder sits there with their portfolio of projects and of products in front of them. It's costing a certain amount over one year, two year, three year, four year, five year. They're very cognizant of that. And then a new developer comes along and says, we'd like you to purchase this, please, uh, with this accompanying evidence. Some of that evidence is a budget impact model. And what that budget impact model will show is that in the current world, you are spending this with this portfolio of assets. If we introduce this new asset into your portfolio with a certain uptake, so a certain percent of the market uptaken by that new device, and increase that perhaps slightly over time as we see market uptake increase, how does that over time affect the uh, the overall budgetary balance that the, the, the budget holder in question is, is going to experience? That's what that's all about. And therefore, the target audience in this case, we call a payer. Now, a payer is a very nebulous term. It's uh, it's not the best thing to say. We're really talking about commissioners within um, clinical um, commissioning groups, uh, for example, in the United Kingdom or increasingly probably going to be primary care networks. Uh, we're talking about um, commissioners within hospitals at a more uh, regional or local level. Uh, a payer <clears throat> will also be, for example, the National Institute of um, Care and Health Excellence. So we're talking about also about the Scottish Medicines Consortium. But bodies like that, um, payers, those who have some degree of determination as to where funds are allocated within a given system, be it local, regional or national. Um, BIMS, BIN, sorry, the, the acronym being obviously a BIM for a budget impact model, we call them BIMS. Uh, they're easily understood typically by, by decision makers. They're quite intuitive. They tend to be it's, because it's frankly feasible to uh, to build a budget impact model that is very transparent, nicely signposted, um, probably quite aesthetically striking and so forth. It's um, of the three models here, it's probably the easiest to convey and communicate an output. As we said, the time horizon is rather short. It does compare costs principally um, uh, as, as a focus between the different interventions. Um, we are not really at a risk of cherry picking positive results, but we will touch on that, Nick will, on the next model. Um, typically, it is acceptable to uh, populate a budget impact model, um, typically but not always, with a, a form of evidence that we'd, uh, or evidence gathering that is called a targeted literature review. Targeted in that it's not systematic, it's not considering all by a certain set of inclusion and exclusion criteria available papers out there, peer reviewed published papers that could um, inform our assumptions, our costs, our benefits, and so forth. Uh, but rather targeted, where, where one goes to the most self-selecting sources um, through publicly available, typically, um, databases and, uh, and selects data that is found over a certain time period, so for perhaps five or ten days of searching by an analyst team. Um, it's worth noting that all of these models are, certainly in the, in the medtech device context, co-developed by that health economic consultancy um, and the medtech developer, because as we'll touch on later, the, the, the incremental power um, of, of, a, of a model being conceptualized not only by experienced health economists, but by the, per the people, of course, who are, have been integrally invested in heaving and, uh, and, uh, and bashing out that very uh, specific and important uh, value story that they understand better than anybody. Combining those two expertise basises um, makes for a very potent um, set of argumentation thereafter. The delivery timeline, roughly speaking, between three, even three and five months. Some budget impact models are more complicated than others. Hence, we might expect perhaps six months in some cases, two months in some cases. Uh, but roughly speaking, I'd say three to four to five months is, is about right. Thanks, Callum. Um, so as Callum said, the three of these models um, they, it's this, we chose these ones because they are a good illustration, we feel, of the, um, the various different ways health economics can uh, 
be uh, how, how health economic analysis can be conducted to evaluate a medical device. Uh, there are other models as well, um, but these are sort of the, the main ones, and particularly the cost consequences model for the, the MTEP process. Each of these, of course, is also uh, approved methodology by uh, technology assessment bodies like NICE. Uh, and when we said earlier that uh, things like the, uh, the MTEP uh, and uh, medical device requirements in terms of evidence are sort of uh, getting getting increasingly uh, demanding uh, in line with pharma. This is largely what we mean. There's just that recognition that uh, health economics has a role to play uh, in assessing medical devices similar to pharma. Uh, obviously, they are the, the device and a drug are completely different, and we absolutely appreciate that. But the methods for evaluating them are nonetheless approved methods uh, such as these. Now, a cost consequences model, which is the requirement for the uh, MTEP, uh, the way it works is it has a dis it disaggregates your costs and outcomes effectively uh, into two uh, sort of uh, think about two, two columns the costs on the one side and the uh, the benefits the outcomes on the other and each of those would then be further disaggregated you know the capital upfront costs uh, cost of secondary care cost of primary care for example those sort of things cost effectiveness model uh, will sort of combine rather than the output being a disaggregated uh, costs and benefits tries to combine both of those into one single metric of cost effectiveness uh, that is all encompassing could be used to compare uh, more broadly and more generally. Now the target um, audience for both of these, uh, the cost consequences tends to be payer uh, and societal uh, sort of um, trying to capture those uh, societal benefits and the payer benefits as well. Cost effectiveness will be uh, broader uh, and, and look at a much more general, general and holistic picture. Uh, and because of the sort of the additional complexity of the cost effectiveness model, uh, the, you could argue that uh, the cost consequences model is much easier to understand. You have your list of costs, your lists of benefits, uh, and if you want to look at uh, sort of costs and benefits there, you sort of divide one by the other, which is why if you go, if you look further down, you could argue that it's risk of uh, cherry picking positive results by choosing the smallest costs and the biggest outcomes uh, and dividing through, whereas cost effectiveness uh, is much more, um, uh, it's, it's, it's done already in that cost effectiveness metric. Now the time horizon, in other words, the, uh, the length of time that you expect to accrue costs and benefits from your device. Uh, in cost consequences, it depends. It's variable, uh, very variable, largely on, on the, um, the, the device. Uh, it is dependent still on the device uh, and sort of the outcomes from it in the cost effectiveness model. But there is this um, tendency to look long term or lifetime, particularly uh, such as you know quality of life uh, and, and life expectancy and, and these sort of things um, in the cost effectiveness model. Both models and the budget impact compare costs between uh, interventions. Uh, both can look at quality of life. Cost effectiveness is much more uh, of a requirement, particularly for cost utility analysis, which is a a form of cost effectiveness. Uh, and cost consequences, quality of life would just be an outcome. Uh, that you could then compare against. Cost effectiveness tends to be very subjective, um, whereas cost effectiveness can be much more general, uh, generalized uh, and can be therefore used to compare across um, sort of countries, for example, uh, or across uh, disease, um, uh, health uh, landscapes. Um, in terms of the level of evidence required, in other words, going into what you need to go into the model, uh, I guess there's two, there's two, two things to think about there. One is, do you have all the evidence that is required you know do you have your efficacy evidence do you know the the effect on the population you know how what proportion of people are affected by this are there sort of subgroups uh, that would be better benefited these sort of things as well as the, the the outcomes and the costs do you have all do you know the price of your device do you know how much um sort of i don't know maintenance or training or uptake these sort of questions all come into those uh, and one way we get that uh, evidence and one requirement of the te technology assessment bodies is to do a systematic literature review or a smaller targeted review uh, in the case of cost consequences model or a full on uh, um, network meta analysis in the case of cost effectiveness to review all the evidence and see uh, how it lies. Again, as Callum said, the co-design is a huge uh, piece of this. Uh, I should also say that there's also a, a lot of um, cooperation or at least a lot of contact points between uh, your medical device company yourself, us and uh, the nice um, bodies that would be assessing them. So there's a lot of back and forth between all three to make sure everyone is on the same page when it comes to evaluating uh, your technologies and the delivery time reflects the complexity of each of those models. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, Nick. And I think now we can think 
okay, these are the model types which are pertinent or most relevant potentially to, and actually not just potentially, but in our experience, are relevant to medtech device developers. But then what are the broad stroke concepts and principles that underlie how we look to conceptualize from the very beginning a, a new health economic model? <clears throat> and it would be worth noting quite explicitly that this is exactly what we'd look to do live, um, in effect, in a room, in a workshop with medtech developers. But these are the core principles and you know they're not actually specific necessarily just to medtech development um this is very applicable to the to the big pharma medtech uh, and biotech sectors as well for developing any health economic model type um now what we have are these five steps and you'll note of course that much of this is exactly what we've covered um incrementally in bits so to speak across this uh, this webinar, but um, therefore I, I'm pleased to sort of complete something of an arc here by saying that firstly, it is imperative to decide or determine rather exactly which populations are, are likely to uh, benefit the most from your intervention, your new device, um, and indeed to understand why. I mean, that rationale will be questioned. And we're thinking in terms of population with respect to which ages categories are we thinking of? Is gender uh, of note? Is ethnicity of note? Are there disease subsets, indications that are going to be playing a role here in, in terms of either just base case analyses or any scenario analyses we want to run? And perhaps we're interested in different regions in a country, but not others, maybe different countries. When it comes to the value drivers, we've touched on this already, of course, but the idea really is thinking about what are those core positive differentiators that you expect this new device to, um, to espouse in, in effect, uh, to, to, uh, to, to demonstrate over the existing set of interventions that you are essentially looking to compete against within the patient system, um, even if that compete against uh, involves some degree of um, complementary um, augmentation of the current system. What are those key differentiators in a positive sense? And then with respect to the patient pathway, I mean, this, this is um, absolutely centrally critical to any health economic development procedure, where really what we're looking to do is to map out step by step exactly how, uh, I think I've touched on this already, but it is so important, map out exactly how that device fits into the existing paradigm of care, of treatment, patient progression, treatment uh, rollout, and indeed, in which ways does it differ? And are there any aspects by which that new device is actually going to be affecting in a change sense uh, the, the existing system? Are we looking actually at systemic change being affected by a new device? And that's really pertinent in medtech devices, even more so in my experience, in my experience and opinion than in um, pharmaceutical, uh, because actually so many devices are, and this is why they're so exciting to us, are unlocking brand new opportunities. I mean, this is so often the case that there is unmet need that is frankly untapped in insofar as what we need in many cases is a step change in the way we are delivering care. Many devices speak exactly to this need and therefore defining acutely this patient pathway, this, this treatment pathway is integral to this conceptualization process. It involves a lot of drawing on whiteboards where we, we uh, consensually agree between the, uh, the medtech developer team and, and the health economists. Um, yes, this line goes to this health stage. We then move here. We then have clinicians who intervene at this stage. Maybe a subset of patients will go here. If you see what I mean, it's a bit like a decision tree, only in many cases a little more complex than that. But it's trying to map out where people go step by step. And then lastly, once we've got that drawn out skeleton of step-by-step -step patient progression. We then want to identify what are the costs, the savings and the health benefits, which we're likely to in reality experience and witness um, through the rollout uh, and uptake of this new intervention. And exactly where will they be accrued or accredited to that patient pathway? And indeed, actually, some assumptions at this stage as to for whom they may be accrued and accredited. That speaks back to our characterizing of the population, of course. And maybe there's a time aspect on that. Maybe uh, we have initially in the short term quite a few costs and benefits would be accrued, but then we need some uh, clinically validated rules which state that actually later those health benefits and those cost benefits will not be relevant. Now, this is all to do, of course, with an early, this is all early stage conceptualization between uh, the developer and a health economics team. The ideal thing thereafter would be to uh, validate, of course, the assumptions and questions that come out of this process. This process, incidentally, typically being undertaken in a workshop of two to three hours, something like that, where we can sit down together and really bash it out in a structured fashion. And we'd look to validate the outcomes of that workshop with some um, 
clinical experts in the field who who are able to of course take a take a, a balanced objective view as to whether this would actually pass salt pass muster when it's submitted to the target stakeholder in question for example the, uh, for nice in the uk i wonder sorry i i, I might pause and, and see whether my colleague nick would like to add anything to what i just said no, I think you, you covered it uh, very well there, Callum. And I think um, since we are a bit pushed for time, uh, we should uh, roll on to the uh, to the next slides. Of course. Thank you, Nick. Um, so here we have uh, an example of uh, what you can expect or the, the sort of the approach we take um, when going working with you through your uh, situation, through your device, through the, your expectations of it, uh, and then the sort of data we would need for the model. So on the left side, on the left column here, you see uh, the, the various items we need. Uh, and this is um, sort of a very standardized thing, the, the PICO as it's called, P-I-C-O, Population Intervention Comparatives and Outcomes, and then an additional uh, five items that we would need for the health economics. So the first column is this fictional product. I'll take you through it. And while I'm doing that, just think about what data you have uh, for your own device, for your own uh, product. Uh, and uh, any and then you can start identifying where your strengths and weaknesses are in terms of the uh, the data and the evidence you have. So this is a fictional product. The pop target population is adults with dry eye syndrome. Now the intervention is a uh, a novel device to alleviate the dry eye mask. It is a dry eye sign. Sorry, it is an eye mask. So rather nice, nice, simple, contained. Now the comparator, it would just be current practice, standard of care, because there's no other devices that are currently. Uh, on the market or in, in, in used to practice um, to look into to address uh, dry eyeness. Their, mo their main outcomes are um, this clinical outcome, which would be the number of patients that meet this uh, clinical criteria. Uh, and then of course, quality of life, because this is obviously a big, it's always with patients at the end of the day and, and uh, patient, um, uh, patient values and what patients uh, want uh, is a big part of um, all decisions on uh, new uh, new devices, new technologies, new drugs, and of course the the costs of uh, doing this. And that would be the capital costs, the uh, maintenance cost, uh, any training costs, uh, and where those costs might fall in terms of the different health uh, providers, and in in this particular pathway. Now the perspective in this case would be NHS. One could take uh, a more narrow perspective and just look at a trust. For example, or a hospital, uh, it doesn't necessarily, or, or rather than a, a national health service, whether it's in the UK or abroad, or you could take a broader perspective as well and look at societal costs that uh, patients would accrue. Uh, even little things like um, parking at a hospital, for example, would come into that sort of broader societal perspective. Um, now, the evaluation method for this was identified as a cost effectiveness analysis because they want to look at uh, quality adjusted life years. So cost utility analysis particularly. This is a metric that's very common in health economics uh, to measure quality of life uh, in a robust way that lets you compare across disease populations and devices, but uh, we don't need to go into the details of that here. The time horizon, one year. In other words, we expect the costs and benefits of this to be accrued over one year and no further, uh, and there's no additional modeling to extrapolate that beyond, and so therefore no discounting uh, long term. Again, rather technical, so uh, I won't go into details on that uh, because it may not apply to your situation. The benefits uh, would be valued in terms of uh, quality adjusted life year, as measured by this uh, idea of the EQ5D, which is a questionnaire to look at quality of life. Uh, and the evidence base from this primarily comes from this one paper, Griffiths et al., which provides direct costs and intervention use data. This is most likely a health economic or costing analysis. Uh, since it has costs and uh, outcomes or intervention use in it. But it's by no means the only source of uh, evidence that would be used or needed for a model. This would just be your sort of your main, uh, probably RCT, given uh, the various hierarchies of evidence preferred by technology assessors, such as NICE. Um, I think that's uh, anything else to add there, Callum? I think that's, that's marvellous, Nick. Thank you. And I, I, actually, what I'll, what I'll add as we move on to just a, a second and a two of two example, is um, is really the the inherent importance of, of I suppose what we're trying to show here is is this of course is to some degree mimicking a um, a workshop that we would we would hold with medtech device developers. Um, the idea is we'd sit down and, and really try to uh, fully conceptualise from start to end exactly what uh, is desired to be achieved, who this would be delivered to, for whom, what the methods would be. Um, what evidence is, is required, what do we already have, what are the gaps, what are the methods we're going to use actually to, to fill those gaps, and how are we going to validate this. 
And um, and of course, what we're what we're doing therefore is actually speaking back to or referring back actually to what I said earlier, and that is the the most impactful value stories always are, and you can pretty much tell actually with it with any given submission that you weren't even involved in, is are ones where actually the developers were right at the centre of the early stage conceptualization, that the buy-in was equal on both sides. What you're doing, you're co-establishing core assumptions, core areas of uncertainty core understandings of data availability and gaps and core understandings of exactly how this uh, patient cohort that you're interested in is currently treated and how that might change with your intervention. That's what we're really trying to ascertain in these processes. And similarly here, again, using the same structure of what's called a PICO, uh, population interventions, comparators and outcomes, as well as the perspective, you know, who's interested, who are we delivering this to, evaluation method, what kind of model are we using, for how long are we modeling, time horizon, benefits valuation, you know, what's the, what's the basis of our valuation here and what evidence do we use? So in this case, you know, we could be looking at, a, this is a bit of a value story here, another fictional precedent where we look at nasal polyps uh, in German adults, uh, the incidence of those, and then we think there's a novel device that could remove nasal polyps uh, within the primary care sector, that in effect a GP could, upon an initial consultation, remove that nasal polyp with a device. This, by the way, is entirely fictional. <laughs> um, the current standard of care in that case, uh, hypothesized here, is going to be a multiple um, healthcare professional sequence of care. So imagine that it actually at the moment, what, what happens as a, system, as a system problem in effect is that you present to the doctor, the GP says, yes, indeed, you may actually have nasal polyps. It looks that way. I'll send you to doctor number two, which might be secondary care. That secondary care doctor may confirm it. They may send you back to a GP for then a referral to a fourth doctor in the secondary care system. And by the way, this is quite a standard problem that medical devices are looking often to do to alleviate, to shorten that care pathway. It saves a lot of time and uh, decision-making um, stress, frankly, on the part of um, part of doctors and nurses. Now, okay, so we have that current standard of care. It's quite clear what we're doing there. We're cutting the uh, the um, the length and the resource intensiveness of treating this problem of nasal polyps. Perhaps what we're interested here then is we're thinking, okay, it's a shorter process. So we're thinking about what's the difference in costs that we're going to be looking at between the, this new intervention and the current standard of care? How many primary and secondary care um, visitations are we going to avoid? Perhaps also we can think about some um, separate health oriented benefits, such as the number of migraines avoided. It's a fairly arbitrary example, but I, I hope you see the point there that actually we can consider these two things quite separately uh, potentially and that speaks to this evaluation method we put there of a cost consequence analysis in this in this case in this german case with the perspective being the german national insurance provider um, a cost consequence analysis could look to compare these costs and to quantify entirely separately in different domains just like as we we would prepare in the mtep process the medical technology evaluation program in the uk um, to prepare those costs and those benefits in this case comparative costs and the number of um, hcp visits avoided the number of migraines avoided consider them separately present primarily the cost difference but also supplant the value story and arguments with these fantastic um, resource alleviating um, benefit to the system and to the patient. It's plausible in this case if you have nasal polyps that we're thinking that uh, people with nasal polyps perhaps have nasal polyps uh, or a, a risk factor that's likely to encourage nasal polyps reoccurring all their life. Therefore it's plausible for this model to consider a lifetime horizon. That's because we think that the costs and the benefits associated with this new device are going to be plausibly relevant for those for that entire lifetime. That's how long you want that horizon to last. Uh, really whatever captures the totality of the effect. Um, now if we start patients at age 30, which uh, this is I'm just trying to I suppose give an example of why you might start at a certain age. You might justify starting at a certain age like 30 because actually this is where the um, incidence becomes particularly notable in nasal polyp uh, development and prevalence starts to become established uh, in a very real sense. And because we've got a lifetime horizon there, we might actually assume that people don't age beyond 100 years. That's a very conventional assumption again as well within health economic modeling. Um, in this case, I think of principal um, value here would be demonstrating or, or sourcing um, event risk ratios, some may be familiar with hazard ratios, odds ratios, eventually, essentially just um, quantifications of the expected um, probability of, of experiencing 
uh, a given health benefit, a health effect or, or problem, adverse event such as migraines, or the probability of, of successful, success, um, successively visiting a sequential hospital visits or doctor visits. So what's the likelihood of you going to a primary care doctor and then also getting to a secondary care doctor and then a third and then a fourth, i.e. completing the pathway. So we'd be looking at a number of different risk rates to account for um, how, how to characterize real world um, progression than these two different um, these two different care care standards and then the evidence base almost certainly for cost consequence analysis of this sort it would be probably um, reasonable to be looking at some form of structured targeted review of peer-reviewed published literature um, to gather our transition probabilities I the, the rate at which patients move between uh, doctor to doctor in this case and, and so forth and, and also gathering our costs and our and our uh, benefits um, you know the risk risk of migraine and so forth um, from the target market of interest, in this case, Germany. Uh, so essentially, as we conclude there here, um, what, what we're trying to show therefore is that precedent, although hard to sometimes identify, use and attain within medical devices, is wherever you can find it, absolutely pivotal to that early stage conceptualization of your, your device's value. What has come before? What were the critiques that perhaps have been issued by, by credible bodies in the past? What were the benefits or advantages that people espoused of those, those um, analyses in the past? And actually, what are the crossovers between that analysis and yours? It might just not, it's not going to be one in most cases. You might be thinking of several um, prior analyses that are sort of similar to what we want, might want to be doing with um, this new device um, in question. And we need to think, what can we take in terms of the best parts there? What do we want to avoid in terms of pitfalls? And in what ways is this completely novel? And are we going to have to seek uh, additional input, perhaps from um, clinical uh, workshop boards and, um, and alternative thinking as well? Um, so, so yes, I just wanted to, to end on that, that general principle of using precedent to, to also inform how you proceed. I think we just moved now to, um, to our questions page, Nick. Yes, thanks. So um, a lot of you were kind enough to submit some questions uh, when you uh, registered for this uh, on a whole range of things, but we've tried to collate those into the, the ones that came up most frequently. Uh, and those are these three uh, topics or themes. Uh, so the first, first question um, being, um, well, uh, this type of elevation is expensive. Is there any way to do it uh, more cheaply? Uh, I'm not sure about readily, but certainly cheaply. So as we said uh, earlier, so it depends what, um, if you're going through, a through the regulatory process, then the uh, MTEP in the UK, for example, is less uh, uh, resource intensive and quicker than the single technology appraisal. So therefore the cost of that will likely be cheaper. And on the same sort of note, uh, as we showed through the budget impact, through cost effectiveness, the, uh, the less complex, less resource intensive uh, evaluations will be cheaper uh, to commission than uh, the more complex, more expensive ones, at least through uh, through consultancy. Now, obviously, I would be remiss if I said uh, or didn't mention that if you want, you can always go through uh, research um, uh, pathways, uh, find uh, a research institute that would be interested in evaluating your product and through them apply for grants through, I don't know, NHSX, for example, if you want to do public funding that way or National Institute of Health Research or other bodies. Uh, just keep in mind that the timeframes for uh, those research timeframes is a lot longer than the consultancy timeframes. So the uh, sort of the monthly, the four to six uh, months that we cited uh, earlier would not apply in the research context at all. Yeah, that, that, that's really great, Nick. Thank you. And, and this second question here was quite commonly brought up actually by, by participants. And I'll just touch, before we mentioned this, we received quite a lot of questions, uh, both both um, prior to this webinar and during the webinar, and we will be delighted to get back to you on an individual basis to address your question. Um, so we do thank you for those and apologize for running out of time in that respect. But this second question, what are the challenges in modeling medtech devices compared to drugs? Principally, it's data availability. And it's principally actually stemming from the esoteric nature, the novel nature of medical devices. Um, it is often the case that there is a real paucity, uh, an absence of prior uh, analyses that could be leveraged effectively, usefully um, for, for these, these analyses and therefore actually data that's already been established in systematic or targeted reviews and published in um, national um, appraisal uh, body uh, websites isn't actually that readily prevalent, whereas for traditional pharmaceuticals, it somewhat more is. Um, this is also a challenge impounded, compounded by the fact that actually medtech devices by their nature, and it's entirely understandable uh, being smaller bodies than pharmaceutical bodies, um, 
don't always have the finances and the expertise in-house to design and run um, essentially adequate randomized control trials that could attain that data as well. So I think drawing out a totally novel pathway for an esoteric medtech device and adequately populating that with data, that's a little tougher in medtech than in pharmaceuticals, but, um, re but eminently feasible nonetheless. Lastly, uh, there were a few questions to this end. How do we find a friendly health economist who would like some advice or input in the study design? I'm sure you won't mind me saying that we'd be delighted to be that friendly health economist. Uh, indeed, if you'd like to explore absolutely any support that we can give for your innovation, please do let us know. We can offer no obligation free consultation meetings at your request. Please just drop us an email to that email address. Similarly, anything that covered we covered today that's crossed your mind and any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. And with the LinkedIn page there, that has details of all our previous webinars. And um, we're short of time, so I'll close and thank you so much for attending today. And we're very grateful indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe for future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about our approach to health economic modeling or how we can support your market access journey, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk.